I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me and part three of Vitals by Rosamond Small. If you missed the first episode of Vitals, you can always catch it and all our past shows by subscribing in iTunes or by visiting playmepodcast.com. The original theatrical production of Vitals was directed by Mitchell Cushman and was produced by Outside the March. Now for part three of Vitals by Rosamond Small, performed by Catherine Cullen. Warning, some language may not be suitable for all audiences. The most perfect call I ever did was horrible. A mom forgot her 10-month-old kid in the bath, and he was underwater for too long. Classic, typical neglect. Lots of cops. And it was too late. He'd been under too long. It was awful. Parents are both on lots of meth, and they just can't look after a baby. This is their second kid. The first one got taken away by Children's Aid, and they think they have it together this time, but they fuck up, they get high, they make a mistake, and that's it. It was horrible. It was totally horrible. But it was a perfect call. Everyone at the hospital complimented me, said I had done everything. It was a job well done. So there you go. That day was actually easier than working with Harry. Honestly, because him shouting, bouncing around, I think I would have worked slower. As it is, the ambulance went fast. The operator asked all the right questions, said all the right things on the phone. We went to the right place really quickly. Two minutes, 18 seconds. We went in and I was already thinking in the ambulance, getting all the bits of information I had together so I could get there and assess quickly and make a decision and act. And I worked the best I could, the best a level three works. And I don't worry about that call. It doesn't resonate. We got a call for asthma, and I walk into this house, and it was like a real drug dealer's house. It was a gang-operated crack den, basically. It's immediately just weed, smoke, so much in your face, and just awful, scary. Obviously full of illegal shit. This tough gang member kind of guy is on the ground having a crazy asthma attack, which is obviously your house is just smoke everywhere. The guy's been feeling it all day, but he didn't want to go to the hospital because, you know, he's a drug dealer or whatever. He's wheezing on the floor and his brother calls me in. And his brother is holding him in his arms. And I'm like, okay, put him on the floor so I can examine him. And the brother starts flipping out. Won't put him down, says the floor is too cold. And I'm like, okay, dude, I can help put him down. 
But the brother just won't listen, won't be rational, won't do anything. And he's swearing at me and he's just calling me every name. And I try to tell him, I can't do anything like this. Put him down. And he's like, save him. And I'm trying. And he's yelling over and over. And the whole thing is just too much. And then right at that moment, I'm realizing I forgot my radio in the ambulance and I have no way to get back up. And I am alone. He turns to me and says, bitch, save him. I have a gun opens his jacket and he totally does. He does have a gun. Moment of tension. My cell phone rings. And it's an ambulance sound. My cell phone ring is a siren. Guy with the gun looks really freaked out. And then I'm like, oh my God, he thinks this is like a security thing. Somehow he thinks I called the cops without touching my phone. I have to say, no, it's just my phone. But words didn't happen so he just puts his brother down grabs my phone and I guess he wants to turn it off but he drops it and it opens and I can see it's my mom calling and now he's actually pointing the gun at me and is like bitch I'm gonna shoot you like whoa I can't do anything if you shoot me right trying to move but I can't and I'm thinking I'm gonna get shot, my mom's gonna hear, and I probably won't die. He's not aiming at anything much, mostly just like my shoulder. I guess it's not impossible that he could hit an artery, it's possible, but through the whole time I really assumed I wasn't gonna die, but I might get a bullet through me and my mom is gonna hear. And she said being a medic was too dangerous and I do not want her on the phone. She does not handle anxiety well. Her stress tolerance is low. She will never stop talking about it if she hears me get shot and shit, what if I get shot badly? Like, what if I get shot in the arm? What if I can't work? They always say not to forget your radio and I'm gonna get so much shit for that. How much will it hurt? I bet it hurts to get shot. And the brother just dies. It saved me. Asthma death is pretty quick. Unless you try to reverse it, so the drug dealer guy is way too upset to shoot anyone and I can get out and call for backup. But now I don't have a cell phone. Fuck cell phones. Mir was super mad at me about the drug dealer guy. He was like, what the fuck were you doing? It's a crack den. A crack dealer with a gun in a crack den. You shouldn't have gone inside. You're an idiot. You wait outside with your partner. You call for backup. Where was your radio? Why the fuck weren't you carrying a radio? What happened? What's wrong with you? When Amir was in Kandahar, he witnessed something. He won't tell me all of it. He can't get through the whole story, but it was something that stood out even in Afghanistan as especially upsetting. Something about a mother and her kid, but... I don't know what happened to them exactly. He won't tell me. When he's under high, high pressure, on a really bad call, his eyes will glaze over and he'll lose himself, lose focus, get overstimulated. His hands will shake. Just on a really bad call, not a lot. I try not to mind because otherwise Amir is the best. And then when he's calming down, when the call's over, I can hear him talking to himself a bit, and 
I know he's back in Afghanistan with the mother and her kid. And he'll turn to me and suddenly say to my face, nobody helped her. Nobody did anything. Everybody saw and nobody helped her. He said he felt like the only one who couldn't cope. He felt like a loser for having nightmares and asking to be sent home. But he had to because after what he saw, he was bad at his job. Sometimes things happen and then suddenly you can't work, you can't focus, you can't make safe decisions, you go to places without taking precautions, you, you lose yourself in the middle of an important decision, you become reckless because you're being haunted. It was called in as an unknown. An unconscious woman found by her neighbor, breathing. But we did figure sexual assault. And that's always kind of unhappy for me, for most of us. It's a certain kind of reaction. But ultimately not totally uncommon. So I get there and uh, I see it's a female, maybe 40 or a little younger maybe. She's lying on her back. She's unconscious. She's naked. Though actually a lot of people are naked when we get there. Accidents happen a lot in showers or people get really freaked out like they're choking or panicking so they just take off all their clothes. So this is not an immediate alarm bell for me so far. Except that you can tell she looks bad. Like, drugs, probably. But she's okay, I think, at first glance, except that she's poor. Bad teeth and just... Nobody with money ever looks like this. I knew something was wrong, so I'm thinking rape victim, maybe. Like, I just know there's something off. Suddenly I see all the blood all through the mattress. I can't tell where it's from, but... I look at her closer, and then I realize what it is. I don't know how I didn't see it right away, but my brain didn't process that her arm, right in the middle of the top part, is actually lying next to her about half an inch away from her shoulder, like physically separated from her. And so then I notice it's the same deal with the other arm. She's been cut away at the arms on both sides. And that was actually quite, I'm, I'm usually pretty good, but that was quite, because she, she's been drugged, I'm pretty sure, so she couldn't move. And I think that was, I think about that one sometimes. Just because the person had cut them away from her and then put them back so they looked attached, but they weren't. And I think about that because she lived, so I think about that one. I had a really bad, like, that's the only time I lost myself, like, physically at a scene. I just looked at her arms and realized, and then I threw up. Like I projectile vomited in this woman's bathroom. 
and that is not normal. I do not get freaked out by things. And that never happens. And somehow it just started to be different. Like, physically, I couldn't take it. I started really hating it, the whole deal. It just, because I just hated the shit. The physical shit and the vomit and the blood. For a while, I was doing calls, acting totally cool. Obviously, I have to be totally okay. And then after, I would think about the call and the woman who had her arms cut off, and I would start to feel these tremors, this shaking feeling through my hands and my fingers until I, I couldn't use them, and nothing would change it. I even went to psych, and he says, do you feel traumatized? He really isn't very good. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Yes, I feel traumatized. That was bad. That was really bad. Me and Amir were six weeks on when that happened. We'd been working pretty hard for a while and I was feeling like less sort of I wasn't crying, I was not feeling anything. I started to get this thing where I could never just be still. I didn't want my thoughts in the ambulance and I didn't want to be quiet anymore. I couldn't stand the breaks anymore in the moments in between calls or whatever. I couldn't stop moving. I was kind of bouncy and I kept sort of making stupid mistakes and I just wanted to tire myself out, but I never could. I never could feel like I could slow down or rest or sleep. I just kept thinking and moving and bouncing and just doing things, just bounce, 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 out of control. It's four in the morning. Me and Amir are just leaving the Emerge, and I'm waiting while Amir gets a coffee from the machine. And this man and this woman run inside the hospital, and they have a child with them. And they yell at me, Do something! Their kid isn't breathing. They're all surprised that their baby isn't breathing. They look surprised. But it's obvious they just... They just didn't feed the baby, and now the baby is dying. And I'm working and working and doing so much CPR, and then the doctors come in and take it. And I didn't ask anyone if the baby died, but it was obvious. I didn't want to look right at the parents, but I do. And the woman has these glazed-over eyes, and I think sort of vaguely that she's probably on meth. And then I look through the emerge doors at the parents, and just as they're closing, I recognize them. This is the woman who forgot her 10-month-old in the bath. How are you surprised? How is it you're surprised every time? I hear him say to her, and I hear him say to her, don't worry, don't worry, we'll have another one. So suddenly, I'm through the doors, and I'm shaking this woman, and I'm yelling, and I'm making her neck go pretty far front to back, and I'm yelling, stop it! Don't do this again! Don't have another one! Don't do this again! Stop! You have to stop! And I feel Amir spill his coffee on me, and he's yelling, go home, Anna! What are you doing? He grabbed me the arm and yelled, Anna, what are you doing? This isn't your job! Stop! You have to stop! You're bad at your job now, Anna! You're bad at your job! They said I assaulted this woman, and I know I shook her and scared her. I, I didn't do any harm, any real damage. She's fine. 
But yes, they called the cops in, and that is what they call. That is assault. I got fired. That was part three of Vitals by Rosamond Small. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Some of the music used in Play Me is licensed under Creative Commons license. Please visit playmepodcast.com for a list of the pieces used and for attribution. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. This episode was edited by Chris Tolley. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.